Well, it's good to be here with all of you and uh, be here to share in the uh, service this morning. For those of you who don't know, you probably do. I'm Mark Sams. I am Stephen's older brother. So today you get the old, the mature, the stable, you know. With Stephen, you get the wise, thank you, boy, I appreciate that, wise, wise, you know. With Stephen, you get the exciting and excitement and young and, you know, one of the things I heard about this church was that uh, the staff of this church was all buff. Well, I blew that when I came along and so, uh, but I guess we'll accept me anyway. As you know, there are a lot of exciting things happening between uh, LifeBridge and Middletown, soon to be Axis Middletown and Axis Mason and the campus here that we are merging together, we are working on bringing these two churches together as one. We will have different venues and different locations, but all of us be one body of believers serving the Lord together. And isn't that our goal anyway, is to serve the Lord and grow the kingdom no matter where we are? And so there have been a lot of things happening in the background. You've heard of some of those things and some of what's been taking place, but you probably haven't heard about all of them. And you'll be uh, picking up on some of those in the uh, near future and some things that are coming and happening and some exciting events. And so we just, from the Middletown campus, want to say thank you for embracing us and opening your arms and allowing us to be a part of who you are. And we're excited about uh, bringing you on board with us and working together to serve the Lord and just see what God has in mind. This is one of those things that actually Stephen and I have talked about just for fun for several years. And then in recent months, we became a little more serious about it, began to talk about leadership at each church and each location and painting a picture of what this could mean and, and uh, how it could come together. And that's brought us to the place where we are now. And we're just excited about, uh, as I say, what God's going to do for us and all those kinds of things. And so we're going to jump on board with some of the activities that happen here. Uh, you're going to jump on board with some of the activities that happen in Middletown. We had the Easter egg hunt recently in Middletown. And uh, we're going to jump on board with some of your things. Uh, earlier this morning, David said something about the uh, pancake breakfast that's coming for El Salvador. We're going to be doing some things, hopefully, alongside of you in El Salvador. By the way... If you're not planning on being here on that Saturday, if you come, you may be able to get a free pancake if you volunteer. So see, that's even better than the $10 thing. So if you volunteer, you may be able to snitch one of those things. And Rob Roy, may, they may not even complain about it at all. So on that Saturday, come and volunteer and help us out a little bit and do the things that we need to do to uh, raise some money for El Salvador and some things that are happening there. I want to talk to you this morning about uh, stopping and no longer spinning your wheels. You know, sometimes in life, we feel like we are just spinning our wheels. I don't know about your life, but I have that problem every so often where I feel like I am just working as hard as I can work, and I'm just spinning my wheels, and I'm losing momentum as I go along. You know, sometimes we have to think about mastering the mechanics of high-speed living. And in high-speed living, I'm not talking about adding more things to your to-do list every day. You know, my to-do list at most days is longer at the end of the day than it is at the beginning of the day. Because most days I will sit down and I will write down, here's what I need to accomplish. I'll pull from yesterday the things I did not get done, and I'll have some items on that. By the end of the day, for me, most days, it's almost a page of things I have to get accomplished. And so I don't need to add more things to my day. I don't need to put more activities into my day. 
What I'm talking about, when I'm talking about stop spinning your wheels, is living a balanced, under control life so that you can accomplish the things that you want to accomplish as well as accomplish the things that God wants you to accomplish. So that you can have a significant contribution with your life. Spend your days moving forward rather than just spinning your wheels. That you can take the time and have the luxury to stop sometimes even and just enjoy the scenery. A few years ago, I bought my first four-wheel drive truck. Now, I admit since then, every truck that I've bought has been a four-wheel drive, but I bought my first four-wheel drive truck. And you know, one of the things that you have the, the inkling to do when you have a four-wheel drive truck is take it out in the mud and just drive it. Have you ever seen those great big trucks, guys drive down the road with those big trucks, those big tires, you know, and they come in and they have mud all over the truck, and you know what they've been out doing, and they've been out mudding someplace. That means they find a field that is just wet and soppy and muddy, and they just go out and they do anything they can do with that four-wheel drive truck. They do donuts, they fishtail, all those kinds of things. Doesn't that sound like fun to you? Well, I thought it sounded like great fun to me, so I took my four-wheel drive truck, one day I was driving down a road. I saw a road that should have and was normally a dirt road. But this particular day, because of all the rain, it was no longer dirt. It was mud. And I thought, this is my opportunity. And so I started down this road. And, you know, I was giving it gas and fishtailing and doing all kinds of things until I got to an area of the road where the mud was a little deeper than it had been in the rest of the road. And I got totally stuck. I mean, it didn't care what I did. I put it in four-wheel drive low. I gave it gas, and all four tires just sat there and spun. I put it in reverse, and I tried to back out. All four tires sat there and spun. I was totally stuck. And I began to wonder three things. First, who do you call when you get stuck like that? You know, if I'm out there stuck in a four-wheel drive, probably a tow truck is going to get stuck too, wouldn't you think? He's not going to come pull me out, so who do you call? Then I begin to think, I wonder how long this rain's going to continue. Is it going to stop sometime? And then, how long does it take this road to turn back to dirt after being mud for a while? And how long am I going to be stuck in this? Sometimes, needless to say, I eventually got out. But I decided that was probably the end of my mudding for the rest of my life in my four-wheel drive trucks. And even though I have them today, and yes, I have been stuck since then, it was not on purpose. <laughs> you know, there are times in life when the same thing happens to us. We get stuck in a rut. Over the years, it's happened to me. And quite frankly, if you're honest, it's happened to you also. There have been times when I've just lost momentum. When the ground begins to give way, I end up spinning my wheels. I rev my engine, but I don't go anywhere. I don't move forward. I can't even move backwards. And it's times like that when it seems the harder I try, the deeper the rut becomes. But I want you to know that during times like that, I've learned some lessons. Some lessons that help us get traction in life, to get my feet back under me, to help me move again. And if you're like most people, and you found yourself at times stuck in a rut, not knowing what to do or where to go next, 
I hope today I can give you some principles and some things to think about that will help you to get out of that rut. Maybe it's a rut in a relationship that you're in. Or maybe it's a a rut in a career where you just feel like you're standing still. You're not moving up the ladder as quickly as you thought you were going to. Or it's a business that you're involved in. It seems like the business is just going nowhere. Or you're having financial problems and you're not as far down the road in your 401k and your retirement and some other things as you thought you would be at this point in time. And things keep getting seemingly perpetually worse. You're working harder and harder and harder, but you're not getting anywhere. Or maybe there's a health crisis. Something's come along health-wise that's just stopped you in your tracks. And you feel like you're putting a ton of effort in. You feel like you're doing everything you can, but you're not going anywhere. And there are times where you just, you don't know exactly what to do. You don't know exactly where to turn or which way to turn or how much to accelerate or even when to call for help to get you out of the rut. I want you to know that no matter how long you feel that you've been in the rut, if you're in one, no matter how deep the rut seems to be right now, there is a way out. There is a way for you to move out of the rut, to get out of being stuck, to get out of the mud and move ahead. Sometimes when we get stuck, we don't know exactly what to do next. Do we phone a friend? Do we get out and walk through the mud? Do we try to find some rocks to put under the wheels? What do we do? In other words, what kind of decisions do we make that help to pull us out of this rut that we're in? When we're feeling overwhelmed, we don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. Well, let me give you some questions today that I hope will help you to get out of the rut, to help you to move ahead, especially when you think about what you are doing in your life for God. So here's some questions. You can write down some of these as we go along today. Maybe you'll refer back to them and think about them. But here's the first question I want you to think about. What would I do if I had no feelings? What would I do if I had no feelings? Now, that sounds like a really strange question, doesn't it? If I didn't have any feelings, what would I do? I ask it because oftentimes our feelings or our emotions are the battleground for temptation. When I don't know what to do, it's usually because there is a big gap between what I want to do and what I know I ought to do. I talked to a pastor recently who was thinking about quitting the ministry. He was thinking about getting a secular job and just totally getting out of the ministry. He was fed up. He was run down. He was tired. He knew that God had placed a call on his life. He knew that that he wanted to serve, and it's what he was supposed to be doing. But he had gotten to the place where he just didn't want to continue. And to him, working nine to five in a secular job just sounded like a great way out. It was a great way just to get his life kind of back together, and it appeared to be more and more appealing to him all the time. He was tired of dealing with people's problems and the constant criticisms and all the things that seemed to come along with working in a church. You know, he really didn't want to leave the ministry, but he didn't want to stay either. He didn't want to get out of what he was doing, but he just felt that no longer was he being successful. And so I asked him, I said, what do you think you should do? He said, I don't know. I said, well, let me ask you this question. 
if you had no feelings, what would you do? And he said, what does that question mean? I said, if life in the corporate world didn't feel appealing at this moment, if life in the ministry didn't feel dreadful in this moment, what would you do? And he gave it some thought and he said, I'd stay in the ministry. I talked to a woman who was going through struggles in her life. She was thinking about and she was separated from her husband and she was thinking about divorce. And the reason she was separated was for good reason, quite frankly. But after several months, it seems that the husband was repentant and he was trying to come back and he was trying to mend and he was sincere in his efforts to, to reconcile, reconcile with her. And she said, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know, I don't want my family to fall apart, but I don't want to go back into the situation that I've been in. I don't want to go reconcile with him and go through those struggles that we've been going to. I don't want to live my life like that. I want to live my life my own way. And I asked her, I said, if you had no feelings, what would you do? If the thought of freedom and the adventure of a new life didn't feel so good, and the thought of, of getting back into the struggle of working on your marriage and the relationship didn't feel so daunting, what would you do? And then I said, let me put it another way. If both options were guaranteed to bring the same amount of happiness in a year, the same amount of joy in a year, the same amount of satisfaction in a year. If on a, and if on a scale of 1 to 10, both of them were a 10, which direction would you go? And she said, well, that's easy. If my feelings were the problem and I knew I could be happy either way, then I would stay with him. I want my family to be together. You see, the reason why I phrase it that way is sometimes when we get in a rut, we have to just back up and we have to think, what would it be if I just took my feelings out of this? Because oftentimes we ask ourselves, what would make me the most happy? And when we ask ourselves that question, it sometimes gets us into trouble. And oftentimes, have you noticed that we choose the lesser of the two happinesses? We think that pizza and ice cream will make us happy, but really eating healthy and being slim, as most of the other people on staff around here are, being slim it would make us even more happy. Agreed? You see, what seems to make us happy oftentimes is not what makes us happy. We think we want out of a difficult marriage and into an exciting new relationship and out of the demanding job into some new relationship or a new job or a new place or maybe get out of the struggle of that church and go to another church. But really, we lose as much as we gain. We lose as much as we are actually getting. Our feelings have a way oftentimes of misleading us. They cloud our judgment. They cause us to look for ways that we can continue to do the wrong thing and still feel right about it. We have good desires. We have bad desires. Oftentimes, though, it's those bad desires that seem to pull us a little harder. And it's those bad desires that get us stuck in a rut. Or maybe if you prefer it this way, if both options were guaranteed to bring the same amount of peace and happiness and contentment into my life, which choice would I make? If you want to start making the right decisions in life that help you to get out of the rut 
to do the things that God's calling you to do, that he wants you to do, and move in your direction in the direction that God wants you to move your life, then sometimes you have to separate yourselves from your feelings, and you have to pull your feelings out and just ask yourself the question, what would I do? There's a second question that I want you to think about. Here it is. What would I do if I had no baggage? Think about that. If you didn't have baggage in life, what would you do? What decisions would you make? If you had no history, no past, no guilt, no regret, what decisions would you make? I read a story about a guy this week. <clears throat> he was writing about his first car. His very first car was a 1961 Buick LeSaver. He bought this Buick LeSaver in 1975, he was writing, for $250. He said it was a great car. If you don't know anything about cars of that vintage, they had tons of chrome on them, something we don't know anything about anymore, chrome on a car. He said when you wash the car, I mean that thing would sparkle. It would shine like you would not believe. He said but the car developed two issues. One is the heater went out on it so it didn't have heat. He said, you know, I learned to live without heat. I just, if I was going someplace, I would dress appropriately. I knew the car didn't have heat, and so it was okay. I could deal with that one. He said, but the second thing that went out on this car was reverse. It would not go into reverse, and so I could not back up at all. So he said, I started living my life with a no-reverse philosophy when I was driving my car. You know what that means. When you go to the store you look for two parking places that are right in touch with each other so you can pull through one and pull in the other one. That way when you come back out of the store, you don't have to back out of the parking place. You can just pull out of the parking place. He said, if I went to a house, I always parked in the street so I could just pull away. Or if they had a little slope on the driveway, I would park in a place where I could just let it roll back down out of the driveway and then I could put it in drive and just let the car go. So he said, I had this mentality of just driving without reverse. He said, really, it wasn't bad. I drove that car almost all my senior year of high school. The only time I really got in trouble with it was when my girlfriend had to get out and she had to push a little bit, and it didn't quite work as well when that happened. Maybe that's the reason he said he didn't have so many girlfriends in the senior in high school. But he lived with that mentality. You know what? Let me tell you something. That's a terrible way to drive your car but it's not a bad way to live your life. If you can learn to live without going in reverse, you can overcome a lot of the limitations that we put on ourselves in life. There are a lot of times we say, I know what I want to do, I know what I ought to do, but I have this history. I have this history of failure. I See if you've ever heard these words. I tried it before, and it did not work. Or maybe you've said those words. I know people who have been through bad relationships, and they just decided, that's it. I've tried it before, and it just didn't work. I know people who have had bad experiences in their job, and they said, you know, I, I, I've tried doing those things before in my job, and it just didn't work. I'll never do that again. I know people who have had bad experiences in, in church, and because they had that bad experience, they've sworn off church. They said, never for me. I will never go back again. I'll never be a part of church again. Why? Because of their baggage. You see, that's not the right approach to take. 
That's the baggage approach. That's the regret approach. The right approach to ask yourself is, what happened? What went wrong? What can I do differently this time around? How can I make this time different than the last time? And quite frankly, let's be honest, folks. Every single one of us carries baggage with us. I don't care who you are. There is some baggage that you carry. The Bible puts it this way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means you and me, folks. We all carry the baggage of sin with us, no matter who we are. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says it this way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That's your baggage, and that's my baggage. We've all made mistakes. We've made many of them intentionally. Some of them we've been victimized by, and they're things that we didn't have control over, and we still carry the baggage from that. And that baggage has the power to kind of cloud our minds and cloud our perspective, and it has a tendency to control our future. But in getting out of the rut, you need to stop and ask yourself, if I hadn't failed the last time, if I wasn't afraid of failing again, what would I do next? If I had been hurt last time, if I wasn't afraid of being hurt again, what would I do next? If I didn't carry around this guilt from what I did before, if I didn't have these regrets, if I weren't carrying so much baggage, what would I do? And if you can allow yourself the luxury, at least for a moment, to set the baggage behind, to forget about it, to forget about how painful it was, the struggles, the hard times, and you could clear your head, what decision would you make? There's a third question I want you to write down and think about. When we're talking about getting out of this rut of life and doing the things that God wants us to do and really focusing on Him and moving in the direction He wants us to go, the third question is this, what would I do if I had no reputation? What would I do if I had no reputation? You've no doubt heard it said that your character is who you really are. Your reputation is what people merely think about you. And sometimes there's a huge difference between the two. I've known some people who have good character who had questionable rec reputations. And I've known some people who have had great character. And they're terrible or people who have had lousy character but their reputation in the community is that they are just absolutely the most fantastic person ever. For most of us, it usually probably balances out. Because there are always some people that think better of us than we are, and there are always some people who think worse of us than we are. When you make certain choices, people make an opinion about you. But sometimes we need to learn to just disregard the opinions of others to weigh our own decisions, to forget about what other people think about us or what they might think about us. I've known people who have taken jobs they didn't want to, even pursued careers that they didn't want to move into because of the pressure of other people, of what they would think about them, maybe a spouse or a parent. If you don't take this job, what does that mean? I've known people who were Afraid to do things business-wise because of what people would think about them. Again, I know people who wouldn't come to church 
or who would not commit themselves to Christ because of what other people around them may think about them. We have to develop this perspective of how unimportant the opinions of other people are. When it comes to the opinion of others, we need to have maybe a detachment. You know, so-and-so thinks I'm a failure. Who cares? Or so-and-so is happy because I'm having problems. Who cares? Or so-and-so thinks they're better than me. Who cares? You can't allow yourself to make decisions in life based upon what other people think about you. If you're trying to do that, then you are not going to move the direction you need to move, and you're going to stay in the rut and never get out of the rut. You know, if you try to please everybody, guess what? You will please no one. Now, there is a balance to this. I'm not saying don't ever listen to people. It is important, and we realize that as Christians, we are all in this together. We encourage each other. We support each other. We hold each other up. We pray for each other. We are there in the good times, and we are there in the sad times. But you listen to people who have strong foundation of faith. You listen to people who love you. You listen to people who care about you. You listen to people who you trust in their opinions and the direction they want to send you. It is important that you listen to people. It is important that we realize we're in this together, and we need to hold each other up. But when you're struggling with the question, what should I do next, sometimes you have to step back. Forget your reputation. You have to forget about what other people are going to say or how they're going to regard it or what they're going to do. And you need to say, what do I need to do? What does God want me to do? Which direction does he want me to go? Ask yourself, if no one else in the world could form or express an opinion about what I'm doing, about my situation, what would I do? If the only person I had to think about is me and think about God, what would I do? I have said for years, and if you've been around me any length of time, you've heard this. A little phrase that goes like this. There's only one person in this world that I can do anything about. You know who that is? That's me. I can't do anything about anybody else. I can't change anybody else's life. I can't change anybody else's heart. I can't change the way anybody else thinks. The only person I have control over is me. And see, if you're in a rut, you can get out of it. If you're stuck in the mud like I was in the truck, there is a way out. Sometimes you have to look outside of yourselves to get there. But if you don't know where to turn, and if you don't know what to do, let me give you a little phrase. And if you don't get anything else that I say today, here's the one I want you to get. You do this. You get out of the rut by eliminating the voices that compete with God's voice as you make decisions in your life. Sometimes we have to stop because the world so bombards us with so many things that we cannot hear that still, small voice of God. A lot of times we just have to stop and listen, and we will hear what God wants us to do. Don't listen to the voices of your desires. Some of your desires are right. Some of them are wrong. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But if you didn't have desires or feelings in the situation, you could just make the decision based upon what you knew was best for you and what God wanted you to do. What decision would you make in the situation? 
Or think about the pain of the past. Just let it go. Don't be led by your resentments, by your guilt, by your regrets, by the things of the past. Ask yourself, if this disappointment from the past wasn't there, what would I do? What would God want me to do today? You see, the great thing about God is the past doesn't make any difference. It's where we are today and where we're going to go. And don't let the expectations of others control your life either. It's not your job to impress. It's not your job to pacify. It's your job to fulfill God's plan for your life. Ask yourself, if it could be that no one else cares enough to comment on what I'm doing, what would I do? What would God want me to do? Those three questions, I think when you get in that rut of life and life just seems to bombard you all the time, can help pull you out of that rut. And this is what God says. Psalm chapter 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. You see, God doesn't leave us out there stranded. He says, listen, I'll teach you. I'll instruct you. I'll let you know where you should go. God wants to help you stop spinning your wheels. He wants to help you gain traction. He wants to help you get out of the rut. He wants so much to guide you through life that he says, quit listening to the things around and just listen to me. He will counsel you. He will watch over you. He'll be there for you. Pray with me. God, thank you that even though life sometimes throws some real curves at us, Sometimes we do get in a rut. Sometimes it's hard. It's tough. We don't know which direction to turn or what to do. Thank you that in those times you are there with us and you're sending us in the direction you want us to go and you're helping us and you're encouraging us. Help us not to be so concerned about people around us and what they're saying and what they're doing. Help us only to be concerned about you and what you want in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Just stand and sing with us.